This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Wednesday afternoon. Hope you are enjoying hump day. We've got lots of sunshine, but of course we know the way the weather forecast has been the last few days that we could see severe thunderstorm warnings in our area. So just uh, stay tuned and we'll make sure we bring you the latest. I want to spend a bit of time this half hour on a case that is very disturbing to me. Of course, right now we are dealing with our own disturbing sexual assault case in Calgary where the young girl was kidnapped from a bus stop. You heard Rob talking about this earlier. And two men took her, held her hostage, repeatedly sexually assaulted her. And, of course, the the news today is the fact that the judge wanted her to read the victim impact statement. So we're still following that story. And then it was yesterday that I was reading about another bizarre sexual assault case. And and this involved the acquittal of a 15-year-old boy. This is in the Edmonton area. He was acquitted of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old girl. And at the time, the judge said that she didn't exhibit the right qualities when it came to a victim. He questioned why she didn't cry out when this 15-year-old boy fondled her breasts and her buttocks. Well, fortunately, we saw uh, Alberta Queen's Queen's Bent's justice, rather, overturn the acquittal. And in overturning the acquittal, slammed the lower court judge. The Court of Queen's Bent's justice, Juliana Topolniski, in her seven-page ruling said... Consent in the context of sexual activity is not a difficult concept. It means just what the word implies. Went on to say that that court judge in the trial used myths and stereotypes about sexual assault victims to inform his decision. Now, this was a scathing criticism of the lower court judge, Michael Saverin's which she called his misapplication of the law. And I, I mean, I can get into details about the, the case that involved, it happened at a school in Edmonton where a girl was in the locker room and a young boy came to her, grabbed her buttocks, made a joke, but it didn't end there. She came out of the locker room and once again, he was grabbing at her breasts and buttocks. She pushed him away, fending him off with a water bottle, said no, said it wasn't right. So in the initial court ruling, this is back in April, the lower court judge, Saverin, said the accused did not mean to touch the complainant sexually without her consent, and nor was he reckless or willfully blind to her lack of consent. I do not believe she was successful communicating her discomfort, which initially I find was totally internalized. He went on to say, I am not convinced she clearly expressed her objections. So the Court of Queen's Bench Justice Topolniski said, even if consent had been given at first, which she did not think was the case, it is clear that any such consent was withdrawn. Consent means yes 
she wrote in her ruling, which came down in Edmonton earlier this month. The word no does not mean yes. The word no coupled with fending off an attacker with a water bottle does not mean yes. There is nothing ambiguous about it. And the reason that this story caught my eye was because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Justin, Justice rather Robin Camp. You'll remember he was the judge in an Alberta decision where a 19-year-old woman, he acquitted a man of sexual assault of a 19-year-old woman after deciding that the accused man's version of the events was more credible. And he went on to say, couldn't you just keep your knees together? So we know that Robin Camp, his story is not over. There is a review of that whole decision. But not speaking just specifically to these two cases, I'm wondering... Do judges not get enough training? Kathleen Mahoney is my guest this half hour. She is a Calgary lawyer, University of Calgary law professor, and joins us today. Kathleen, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, uh, that's perfectly fine. Thank you for calling me. Kathleen, what was your initial reaction in this latest case with the Alberta Queen's bench justice overturning the teen sexual assault acquittal and slamming that lower court judge? What what were you thinking when you were reading that case? Well, my first reaction was disbelief that the, the trial court judge could have got it so wrong, especially since all the publicity on the earlier case that you mentioned in your introduction um what what's also interesting you know is that the most famous case on sexual assault in canada bar none is out of edmonton the new and chuck case where the supreme court of canada was abundantly clear in saying that there's no such thing in canadian law as implied consent to sexual assault there's no such thing there's a question the judge has to ask him or herself has one of two answers did the uh, victim consent, yes or no, and they have to answer that question. There's nothing in between uh, the answers to, to that question. And here, what we see is the waters being muddied uh, in that regard. Somehow or another, this trial judge seemed to have concluded that the assailant was entitled to believe in consent when this young woman is fending him off with a water bottle she's saying no uh and the judge is is looking at those facts and saying well that uh, she did consent she didn't clearly indicate her lack of willingness to participate in this sexual conduct so i was dismayed um at that decision um and yes i think the answer to your question about education is a very relevant one I mean, a number of years ago in the 90s and in the early 2000s, I was very active with a number of other uh, uh, people in law in the whole judicial education movement, which led to the creation of the National Judicial Institute, which is designed to educate judges on issues of gender, race, class, those kinds of contextual issues which can affect a person's thinking. Because we all carry with us certain stereotypes and views of the world that, that, that aren't shared by everyone. And sexual assault is a big part of that. And uh, it, it was, these kinds of decisions were, became non-existent for a number of years. And then now all of a sudden we've got in Alberta, the place where the Ewan Chuck case uh, originated, we've got 
and actually quite close together in time, uh, the decision of Justice Camp in Calgary, and now this decision in Edmonton. And it just strikes me as strange that the message hasn't gotten through, that no means no, and that judges must apply that concept. And there's no and implied. Yeah, Kathleen, sorry, as you say, there's no such thing as this implied consent. That's right. And the Supreme Court of Canada made that very, very clear. There's no such thing as implied consent in Canadian law to, to with respect to sexual assault. There's implied consent in other things, other type of, uh, of relationships. But when it comes to sexual assault, which is such a, an intimate and, and uh, uh, close, kind of contact between people and so potentially harmful, uh, the court made it abundantly clear that, that this kind of activity cannot go on unless there's very clear consent. And in this case, the facts indicate that there was very clear non-consent. The word no was used. Uh, the woman was fighting back. She was pushing this assailant away. And yet, even though, in spite of those facts, the judge seems to indicate that he believes there was a form of consent. Uh, so I'm astounded. Kathleen, and I, I didn't want to focus just on this case or Robin Camp because we definitely have talked about that a lot in the past. I want to focus more on judges. First of all, this was a lower court judge, provincial youth mm-hmm. court judge. How how are they chosen? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, provincial court judges are chosen by provincial attorneys general. Uh, a person can apply uh, for this job. And it's fairly well known that often a person's uh, political affiliation can affect decisions where people are equally qualified. And uh, this happens, uh, unfortunately. And whether this was uh, a factor in this case or not, I'm certainly not going to speculate. No. But by and large, there is a vetting process that uh, that judges have to have some kind of a record of, of practicing law in the courts. Uh, there's some exceptions have been made in the past. It's true when people are appointed that don't appear to have that kind of litigation experience. Um, but uh, by and large, uh, you know, judges that are appointed are well-experienced uh, lawyers. And especially at the provincial level, it's very important, um, certainly in my view, and I think in generally speaking, it's a view of the of the profession, that provincial court judges should have uh, experience in provincial court where, you know, it's the first level court where right. crimes usually are, are judged. And uh, some crimes are judged for the first time in Queen's Bench, but most are judged at the provincial court level. So, you know, the, the idea of qualification has involved in it experience in those very courts. So that would be normally how, how judges are chosen that you know, there's a vetting procedure and the, the attorney general basically accepts or rejects the decision of the committee that looks at the applicants. And the reason I ask that is, all right, so that's how they're chosen. And then do they just sit up there on the bench and start making their decision? Because that's it a, seems in Robin Camp and even this case, it was the recommendation that these judges, they need training. So I'm, I'm just curious, do, do they, you talked about the National Judicial Institute, but what kind of training do judges have once they take on this job? Well, first of all, what's important is that the training is not mandatory. Um, I, I personally am of the view that there should be mandatory training, particularly in these areas of 
of gender offenses and and others that involve, let's say, race and issues such as that. It's not mandatory, but I think it's highly recommended. And uh, but I think in the in the recent past, uh, the emphasis has changed somewhat. It's not as as front and center like education on sexual assault used to be uh, a number of years ago, front and center in judicial education, and considerable periods of time were devoted to that with newly appointed um, judges yeah. and veteran judges. And it's my sense of it that it's not it has not given that level of significance in the last several years. And uh, perhaps because the thinking was, well, all the judges have been exposed to what the best practices are in this area. There are bench books that that judges use to guide them that uh, talk about myths and stereotypes as it applies to sexual assault. But maybe that needs to be um, revisited to see uh, the content and see if it's, it, has, it, it explains it well enough to, to new judges or to veteran judges uh, exactly what gender bias consists of and what myths and stereotypes in sexual assault cases should be avoided. Um, there's extensive literature on this in, in legal journals and judgments of the courts, and particularly in the Ewan Chuck case, the court went to great lengths to explain uh, how judges should examine the facts in sexual assault cases and not be uh, moved by predisposition or their views on sexual behavior or their views on, on appropriate gender behavior. The, the one focus a judge must have is, was there consent, yes or no? And uh, where they seem to go astray is when they take other considerations into account that that uh, that these myths and stereotypes that we know have long invaded thinking on sexual assault are mistakenly applied. Kathleen, I've got a few more questions for you. Can I uh, put you on hold for a second here? Sure. All right. Kathleen Mahoney is my guest this half hour. She is a Calgary lawyer, University of Calgary law professor. And, and I'm just curious because, again, we have heard of a lower court judge making bizarre comments when it comes to sexual assault. And I want to delve into, as Kathleen says, what kind of training they get once they become a judge. Uh, just talking about judges and whether or not they get it. Sometimes I wonder because we've heard of another case this week about a provincial youth court judge and the fact that his acquittal of a 15-year-old boy was overturned by a uh, Queen's Bench Justice and in a scathing criticism of the lower court judge's decision was simply saying that, you know what, consent in the context of sexual activity is not a difficult concept, but it definitely seems to be a difficult concept when we are talking about recent decisions by judges, and in particular in Alberta. Kathleen Mahoney is my guest this half hour. She's a University of Calgary law professor. Kathleen, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm getting a number of texts on this, and uh, one person says here that it seems the judges, when the accused is not a criminal but an otherwise upstanding young man, it seems the judges are more interested in protecting that poor boy's reputation than the victim. I mean, these are just comments I'm getting in here. Uh, another one says, it's not that judges don't get enough training. They don't have enough life experience outside of school and a courtroom. So, I mean, I think the average person who's on the outside looking in, we, we question whether or not just because you've been a lawyer a long time, that means that you're going to be a great judge and you sit there and you make decisions. But as we have seen, that's not always the case. 
Right. And, uh, I mean, we, we live in a society that for many, many, many years uh, has been dominated by the male vision of life and how it should be conducted. And sexual assault was very much a victim of that that view of the world. And so we've been through a history in, well, whether you call it rape or sexual assault, yeah. it's changed to sexual assault because it includes more offenses now. Um, there was all sorts of um, ways of looking at sexual assault that didn't take the woman's perspective into consideration. And, and there were laws that said that, you know, a woman's past sexual history, for example, could be used to determine if she consented uh, to a particular act before, you know, being judged by the court, um, which was highly prejudicial, of course, uh, to women. Mm -hmm. There was also a law that said that unless she complains very quickly, she that could go to her credibility as to whether she should be believed when yeah. she says she didn't consent. So there was this post-assault um, analysis of her behavior. And in fact, I think in this particular case, this young woman had sent a text to a friend uh, saying that this happened and, and indicating in the text that she thought it was funny. Well, and, and if that was indeed re a reflection of the judge, that was another improper use of the law because the law says you cannot take into account the post-assault behavior. The focus of the judge must be on the assault itself. And the reason for that, and we saw this discussed in the Giongometri yep. trial, for example, was that different people react differently to traumatic events. Some some will pass it off as funny because that's a way of dealing with, with it. Mm -hmm. uh, some will pass it off uh, by never telling anyone, just being fearful that it might happen again, uh, and many, many other different reactions. And so that's why it's very dangerous to rely on post-event reactions as opposed to looking at the action itself to see whether it was a forced uh, sexual activity of some kind. And uh, But I think that what happens often is that, that judges are influenced by old ways of looking at the law that have since been discredited, but they may linger in their mind or in their assessment of what went on. There was other, you know, the, the whole past sexual history was all about good girls don't get raped, but or bad girls can't be raped, yeah. and good, good girls can be. So, you know, that's why they looked at sexual history. And similar to, you know, reporting the event right away, someone that's truly been raped will not keep it quiet. Um, those kinds of, of uh, assessments have been totally discredited as being... Uh, extremely narrow, being gender biased, being not very understanding about the fact that people act differently to to these events. And yeah. that is a very dangerous way to decide whether consent has been given or not. Yeah, Kathleen, as the Queen's Bench Justice said, you know, the myths and stereotypes about sexual assault victims. I'm so glad we had uh, co this conversation today. Thanks for making time for us. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for contacting me, Angela. You bet. Kathleen Mahoney, she's a University of Calgary law professor, getting lots of texts. I'll try to share some of those before the top of the hour, because after the break, Dan Riando, it's been a while because I've been on holidays. He's been on holidays. He is back with his music segment, Temple of the Dog. He'll tell us all about that after this. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.